Welcome. This is Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Be sure to log on to our website, www.cato.org, for a full archive of our podcast as well as many other audio offerings. In an op-ed he published in the Washington Examiner last week, Cato policy analyst Justin Logan urged Americans and the administration not to blame Iraq's Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki for our own failures in Iraq. In today's podcast, Justin explains why, in the blame game, the most culpable party is the Bush administration. Justin, what's the verdict on al-Maliki? Is he a failure's prime minister? Well, I think he's clearly come under criticism lately as the policies that the U.S. administration and the Iraqi administration have been employing have failed to stem what is a seemingly endless tide of violence in that country. You can find political commentators as well as congressmen and women, right, left, and center, complaining that the problem in Iraq is the Maliki government. And while I think there are clearly things that Mr. Maliki could have done better, I think that hanging the desperate state of affairs in Iraq around his neck is somewhat unfair. I was struck in particular at a book forum that we had here at Cato, I guess about a week or 10 days ago, with Peter Galbraith, who made the very fair point that the very nature of the federal government in Iraq is decentralized, that it does not have this sort of unified power that a government would need to have in such an environment to make these kinds of political problems go away. So the article just stemmed from, uh, as a response to this notion that was being put forth by commentators right and left, that the problem is Maliki. And I think that is a grossly simplistic way of looking at things. Can you really assert with confidence that Maliki bears no responsibility whatever for the failure of government and the increasing violence in Iraq? No, and I don't mean to make that point at all. There is plenty of failure to go around in many different parties. But I think that we have had this sort of an alarming tendency to look for external sources of the problems that we're having in Iraq. And I think that the problems stem from an ideological standpoint. If you look at the ideas that we had going in about the way the war was going to go, this has been documented very well in Tom Ricks's book. Ricks was here yesterday at a forum also. The original war plan in Iraq had the U.S. presence down to 30,000 troops by September of 2003, six months after the invasion started. Now, you have to ask yourself, how did an administration staffed with very smart people allow these sorts of conclusions to obtain? If you look at the literature on counterinsurgency, on stabilization and reconstruction, the theme that runs throughout is that these missions are exceedingly difficult, they're exceedingly manpower intensive, and they take years, if not decades. So I think that this ongoing search for external actors as the root of what has gone wrong in Iraq really is misplaced blame. It's hard to deny that the administration bears a lot of responsibility for what's gone wrong, but you have to be able to tell me that there is something Maliki is not doing right. Well, I mean, that's a fair question. He's dealing with two forces on either side of him. He has clearly on his right flank political hardliners inside of Iraq, whom if he took too hard of a line, in particular against hardline Shia groups, could conceivably pull their political support away from him. On the other side is the Bush administration, which is looking very much for him to, for example, disarm the Mahdi army. But I think that this is really an impossible circle to square here. If he were to act out too harshly, he could lose political power and the support of the large Shia faction that has given him the political power. If he fails by the Bush administration's metrics, the Bush administration could begin to remove support for him. So I think that those facts 
combined with the fact that the Iraqi constitution enshrines a federal government in Iraq that is inherently weak puts him in really an impossible situation. So we hear all of these critiques. We hear laments from Congress people saying that he should disarm these militias, but very few plans for how it is that he is supposed to do so. And I think the reason we don't hear any plans is because there is no realistic plan for how he's supposed to meet these goals. It looks like with Hadley's and Negroponte's visits to Iraq recently, the administration is putting increasing pressure on Maliki. Now, the prime minister's spokesman mentioned that Negroponte's visit last week is in the framework of a continuing series of meetings between the Iraqi government and the U.S. administration. So what does that mean? Well, it's tough to say without being privy to conversations that are going on off the record. But I think it's very clear that the Bush administration wants to see sooner rather than later some improvement. I mean, it's remarkable how long it has been since the administration could point to measurable improvements in the security environment on the ground. If you look at the trend lines and violence, if you take out outliers high and low, the trend has gone consistently upward. So I think the Bush administration really is pressuring Maliki to deliver on political outcomes that might help the security situation as well as direct attempts to ameliorate the security situation. Again, I think this pressure, you can lean on someone only insofar as they can give you what you want. And I think his ability to give the Bush administration what it wants is limited. So you see this pressure on Maliki, and then there was a news report on Friday that Maliki has passed the blame on senior security and military officials inside of Iraq. Maliki supposedly upbraided them for failing to stop Baghdad's, what they called unbridled violence. So there is this ongoing search for somebody who can make these desperate problems go away. I'm afraid that that person doesn't exist. Just saying that everyone's looking for scapegoats doesn't actually give us any answers. So what is necessary for a successful resolution to the conflict? That's a great question, and I'm not sure how to answer it. We have to define our terms. What is success at this point? How do we define success? Do we define it as the original intention going in of a unified, democratic, liberal, pro-Western Iraq that will serve as a model for the region? I think the prospect of that as a success is well beyond reach. I think even talk about success or a victory strategy now is either a fairly cynical political ploy or reflects a failure to understand the strategic catastrophe that we have really brought on ourselves in Iraq. I think that the best thing to do now, and this is, I will freely admit, not a good solution, is to attempt to convene some kind of an international forum that would bring Iraq's neighbors together, in particular the neighbors that are working at cross-purposes inside of Iraq. I think bringing Iran, bringing Syria, bringing even Saudi Arabia under some kind of international auspices, be it the UN or what have you, to try to clarify and see if there's some kind of a consensus as to what outcome in Iraq would be acceptable to the biggest number of parties there. Because if we continue to work at cross-purposes with external actors and not try to bring them into some sort of discussions, I think that we're going to be staying the course for years and potentially even a decade to come. Cato has previously advocated drastic troop withdrawal. Is that still a viable solution? Again, we have to ask ourselves what our goals are. I mean, if the goals are still the expansive goals of the Bush administration, obviously, I think swift withdrawal is not going to get us there. 
However, I think that there are, unfortunately, serious security interests in Iraq today, and I think that we need to actually redouble our efforts with respect to those interests. Clearly, Iraq has become a breeding ground for terrorism. There are international terrorists affiliated to varying degrees with al-Qaeda inside of Iraq, and we need to find those people and either capture them or kill them. What I'm uncomfortable with is the ongoing attempt to broker some kind of a political outcome in Iraq. I don't think we have the ability to direct the political outcome in Iraq, and I don't think that the sort of civil policing that we're doing is helping to find and kill members of al-Qaeda. So I don't think that we should snap our fingers and pull the last U.S. troop out of Iraq. I think we're going to need to continue to have special forces in Iraq for some time, just as we do in Afghanistan, and perhaps even some civil affairs people to attend to limit the damage both to Iraq and to American interests that has resulted from this war. You know, and there are various political and strategic purposes for talking about victory and success. But unfortunately, I think that the prospect of coming out of this with American interests and American security better than it was before the war is very low. This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.